trucks jacked up, flat bills flip back. Yeah, you can find us where the party's at. This is how we roll. Back here, back again, episode six, Outside Smashville. Boy, I didn't want to sound like a rapper, but I did. Um, welcome into episode six of Outside Smashville. And over these next couple episodes, we're going to be setting a little bit different theme. We'll still talk about the NHL, but we're going to start transitioning into the SECHC tournament, which will be at Fordyce Center Bellevue, February 7th through the 9th. We're recording here at Fort Ice Center Bellevue, and I have a guest here today with me from Penalty Box Radio. She also does some work for the MTSU Blue Raiders hockey team as well. You can see her covering the Preds, G. Nash High School hockey, college hockey. Abigail Martin joins me here on Outside Smashville. Abigail, thanks for coming aboard. Thanks for having me, and hey to y'all as well. It's nice to be on. So we kind of become pretty quick friends. We met each other first at that Country Classic tournament, and ever since I think we've been really good Twitter friends and also um, Penalty Box Radio friends seeing each other at the game. I still laugh at you and Danielle calling yourselves Matthews and Marner because of how tall she is and how short you are. Thank you, thank you, I appreciate it. Yeah, I like I like the jokes, though, on Twitter. I think if you follow any of us on Penalty Box Radio, we like to throw some banter at each other, to say the least. So, as I mentioned, we're going to start with a little different theme. You work for MTSU. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the first season for MTSU in the SECHC conference. Of course, they're spreading out from SEC schools. Justin Bradford, the commissioner, we're sending our J. Brad love early. Ooh, J. Brad. <laughs> in the episode. But not only that, a new first-year head coach, Tim Rather, but he's not unfamiliar to the area. He coached high school with Hendersonville, had a pretty successful tenure. I think his last year won the Gene Ash Cup sure. with Hendersonville. Um, and he's also coached travel. His kid, Jackson, who I'm good friends with, is on the team as well. Talk about the first season under Tim Rather so far and how he's been for the team. Well, I got to actually break the news about Coach Tim Rathery being head coach, and that was amazing. I've uh, known him through Nash from Hendersonville, like you mentioned, but he's just such a genuine guy. And that's really nice because he's genuine, he's kind, he'll come up and give you a little hey and talk to you about the team. He loves the team, he loves uh, his son Jackson being able to really continue his hockey relationship on the ice as being a coach of Jackson, and that's really cool as well, but... As far as the coaching side, I have not heard a single negative comment come from that bench, from the locker room, or any of the guys at all. All of the guys seem to love him and love that he is so kind. And he, it was actually really great. So at the beginning of the season, it was sometime in August when the team was holding tryouts. It was August 25th, it was my birthday. And I was going in for the player meeting just as they announced the team. And Coach Tim hands out this full binder to every single player and says, okay, look, these are all the plays and you're going to learn them. This is a fat binder, mind you. And so, I mean, just right then is when I knew that he was going to be such a great head coach to even have for this MTSU team. But especially as they go into the SECHC, it shows how much passion that he has and that he really wants to grow with this team. And it's going to be interesting to see 
how he sticks forward too, because this season, unfortunately, the team likely won't be making it to the SEC AC tournament. However, I would not be surprised if you saw them next season. Right, and you said first year, obviously a little bit tough. There's some good teams in the SECHC, which we'll get into in the latter half of this segment. But the guys that were there on MTSU already before he came in as the head coach, and you said the locker rooms responded positively. And I know with new coaches, we've seen with John Hines and the Predators now taking over, new systems come into place. Do you think the players have done a really good job reacting if Tim Rathard's really put in a new system? Yeah, I definitely think they fully welcomed him with new arms. They wanted a new voice. They, The team is, they're really aware of who they are and what they want to be, especially that you find in Captain Nathaniel Wilson. I have never met anybody that is so passionate about what goes on, on and off that ice. They, all together, the whole team really stresses chemistry, working together, and whether that be on or off the ice, they want to have each other's backs. And Coach Jim Rather completely implements that in his game and they're doing it off the ice as well which I love to see you go to the rec center at MTSU and you'll see the boys are working out together and I think head coach has no, really noticed that and so he has even created pairings for okay these players are going to go work out with this person and even just something as simple as hotel rooms he makes sure that his players are together his line mates are together and he really wants to build the chemistry so that's one thing that's really stood out for me and the team has been more than welcoming into him. I think so many people, when they hear the term club hockey, they don't think as organized. They think more just for fun. But you look at the SECHC, you look as the divisions go up, it's built up, and the competitive nature of it as well. So I was going to ask now more about the SECHC transitioning over. Sure, you've faced some of those opponents in the past if you're MTSU, but there's a lot of new things that come with it, a conference battle to qualify for a tournament here in your home state. How do you think the team has done against the newer, maybe tougher SECHC opponents? And I know it's a transition year, and obviously as more talent comes in, they'll get better and they'll get used to facing these teams. But there's a lot of good teams in the SECHC right now. There sure is. I mean, even if you look at last season, um, Georgia taking the SECHC championship. But like you mentioned, I mean, in these past couple of seasons, you haven't had to compete for a playoff spot. If you're in the SECHC, Vanderbilt, UTK, Arkansas, you don't have to compete. You play and you know that you're going to the SECHC tournament, which was great, but it's even better that they have expanded so much to so many different teams that you do have that extra level of competitiveness because these boys took it seriously in the first place. But to know that there is something even more that you're trying to fight for rather than going to this tournament and hoping to be the Cinderella story and walking over the tournament, you can't do that unless you play well throughout that season. But MTSU, like you mentioned, is definitely a transition season. It's, they've already had a lot of injuries to go by, and that's something separate that every hockey team goes through eventually. But getting a new coach, going to the SECHC, it's been a it's been a big change. But they're not letting win or loss, they're not letting it get into their head. They're wanting to build each and every single time that they play, and especially against the SECHC, they want to prove that they belong. And that is one thing that I love about the Blue Raiders. Yeah, and I think that's good. Even through a tough season, you learn to build for the future, like you're saying. And I think the cool thing I've noticed with MTSU is they're starting to get a lot more people coming in. I think D3 college club hockey, I should say, is growing. And that's a good thing. We saw John Bucci-Gross wearing a UT Knoxville hockey jersey on in the crease the other night in Sports Center. So when you look at this team, I know there's always seniors, but 
is there a, a good outlook for players coming back next year and also maybe some new players coming in that you know of? Yeah, I that is one thing that really stands out. Um, MTSU this past semester, I would say, um, they lost Zach Butler, a tremendous senior on and off the ice, and he he's really he's a great example because he has told me, he said, I'm coming back. This will not be the last time MTSU sees me. He'll see me this upcoming hockey season. So that for one thing, I mean, he's graduating, but he still wants to stay around this team. So that says one thing in itself. However, I do know the captain's coming back. Everybody that I have talked to is coming back. And um, even last hockey season, Colin Hilton, he had to step away from the team for this season. But my understanding is that he's wanting to come back either sometime to finish up this hockey season, the last little stretch before or even this next hockey season. But the fact that he did take that break and he's aware that how much he loves his team, he's seeing that it's growing and he wants to make the initiative to come back shows a lot as well. But I know players like Jake Fink, he is such a great leader on and off the ice as well. I mean, that's really, that's a lot I have to say about the Blue Raiders. There are so many great people on and off the ice that are so kind to you, but they know exactly what they want. They want to drive this team to be the best that they can be they want to be in the SEC HD tournament, and they've told me that since they started skating in the summer. And even in the summer skates, I think that's when I really realized how driven this team is because those skates aren't optional. These boys were playing, were paying to play on the ice to have that skate time in the summer. Mind you, there were only I think there were about eight or so of them, but so many of the boys came out and they wanted to start practicing early, even when they didn't have a head coach. So it was really player driven and assistant coach driven. But that's how, that's how you know how driven this team is. Everybody wants to be there. I haven't heard any negative points at all. Yeah, and that's good, like you said, when you don't have a coach, but you still want to work on getting better. And I think that's a good thing. You've just seen this MTSU program grow in the area. They're, they've been playing games at Bridgestone Arena. I know they're not the earliest games sometimes, but <laughs> still promoting people to get out there and see local college club hockey. So that brings me to the thing I kind of want to end off with. Very excited. The SECHC tournament is going to be right here at Fort Ice Center Bellevue, this new facility. So many great teams will be here. Again, Justin Bradford, the commissioner, you're going to be doing some post-game reports, stuff, content as well. I'll be doing some broadcasting. What are you most excited about, and what teams are you most excited about in this tournament coming up? That's so hard because I think every season holds something different. Um, this will be my third SEC HC tournament, but, I mean, really, it's the environment that you walk into is the most exciting thing for me, I want to say. For teams to watch out for, I mean, Georgia is going to look to go back-to-back. -back. Um, Arkansas always plays well. Ole Miss, I've seen MTSU play them. They're a hard-fighting team. going to be really interesting to see. They also bring a good fan base as well. Um, but as far as they go, I mean, yeah, I mean, those are, might be my top three. Maybe look at Arkansas as well, too. They're, they're, they're tremendous. <laughs> That's all I have to say. They yeah. are tremendous, and they never disappoint, it seems like. But, I mean, really, I always love the underdog story. So I want to see who's going to slip in last minute, who's going to try and carry and fight for the fight for the title. But SEC HC tournament is something so unique and powerful. So many people come out. You wouldn't think that. Oh, like you like you said, a lot of people are like oh club hockey, whatever. It's not taken like that at all. That we've seen at Fort Ice and Antioch, and now it's in Bellevue, which is 15 minutes from my house. So I don't have to get up this <laughs> early. I don't have to get a hotel. So yeehaw for that one. But I'm. I mean, it's the environment that. Everybody on the staff creates. It's what the fans create. The teams work hard. They fight. They want it. It's so exciting. I remember last season, 
you'd be in one rink and something's going to the other and all you hear is screaming. You're like, oh, you have to run between the tunnels and figure out what's going on. And even at this facility, you're going to be able to do that. So don't worry. When you hear a little screaming on the other side, just run your way over and see what's going on. It is insane to see. And stay tuned to that coverage on Penalty Box Radio. I know so many people are going to be a part of it and do such a great job. Yeah, it's going to be really fun. I've heard about the team that's going to be here for PBR, and there's people I haven't even met yet coming. <laughs> so, But the best part about Bellevue, you've got the new hat, uh, draft picks bar, and you've got some places to watch back and forth, both games. But that new main rink with all that seating, we saw how cool that was at the Country Classic. It's going to be able to sit some more people. So it might even be a louder environment here at Bellevue than it was in Antioch. That would be perfect. I mean, the more people, the merrier, right? Right. Come, come out here. Come support your SECHC hockey teams. Uh, again, February 7th and 9th, Penalty Box Radio will have all the coverage. But we do encourage, if you are in the area, uh, to come watch that tournament. Also, to come watch MTSU hockey. I know Abigail will appreciate that as well. So... We're going to wrap up this segment, but the next segment, let's get to know Abigail a little bit better hockey style, our second segment traditionally. So you're listening to Outside Smashville, episode six here on Penalty Box Radio. Outside Smashville, Episode 6, with Abigail Martin, again, contributor and ringside reporter for both MTSU and Penalty Box Radio. So, time to get to know you, hockey style. One of my favorite segments of Outside Smashville, because I like to hear the different answers. So, my first question for you, who's your favorite team besides the Nashville Predators? Hmm. I mean, other than MTSU hockey, I'm going to go Colorado Avalanche, because they... They have Colin Olsen, first of all. I'm not gonna. I'm just going to cut to the chase, and I'm going to tell you straight up why. A close second would be the Pittsburgh Penguins, but only because of Patrick Hornquist. I know nobody is surprised by that answer, but I promise you it is just because of Patrick. But Colorado, they just have such a fun environment. I think, especially, I mean, even on their social media, so they all around seem like a great team. Um, can't wait for Colin Olsen to get back out there. But that would have to be, but, I mean, obviously my first team is MTSU. What's not to love about the Blue Raiders? <laughs> I, I like that, though. Predators reasons. I mean, <laughs> Colin Wilson, playoff Colin Wilson, and then Patrick Hornquist. I, I miss Patrick Hornquist a lot of the time on the Preds just because of how aggressive he was in mm-hmm. front of the net and just a funny guy all around. But um, that jersey of yours, that's still pretty awesome. <laughs> the cue falling off and well, everything. See, and what's bad, too, is so we had a little – it was free labor for Justin Bradford for to putting all the goodie bags together. <laughs> and I was wore my Hornquist jersey because that was the night that the Preds were playing in Pittsburgh in that uh, back-to-back uh, series. And my cue falls off. Everybody starts making fun of me because now it's Hornvist. And <laughs> so I keep, I keep the cue. I know that it has fallen off. That is my precious jersey. But one time my mom let a friend of hers wear it. 
and the key fell off. So that's how the story originates. However, I keep the queue, and my Nana actually steams the queue back onto my jersey for the Winter Classic because, I mean, that's where it all started for me. So that's why, why I really wanted to bring it to Winter Classic. I'm taking pictures with Danielle before the game at Winter Classic in Dallas, and my queue falls off because a oh, I had no idea, but a Stars fan next to Danielle was like, hey, uh, your jersey's like falling apart. <laughs> I was like, what? And me and Danielle looked down, and we just absolutely started crying. And no one understands why. They're like, these ladies are crazy. But it's it's Hornbist again. Justin Bradford, <laughs> you're right. Didn't you take a picture with the cue and put it out in front I of the did, rink? <laughs> I did, because I sent it to my Nana, and I was like, you lied to me. You said you fixed it. I trusted you, and now I look stupid. <laughs> Luckily, my hair is somewhat long enough to cover that missing spot out of the queue, but if I move my hair, it's game over. It's one of this. <laughs> so it's it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> okay, this this one I'm kind of interested in. I don't know maybe if you do have a favorite or not, but what's your favorite interview you've ever done for Penalty Box Radio at any level? Doesn't matter. This is very hard because especially this season, I've been able to work with the Preds, and so I mean, obviously, that's, that's crazy in itself. Um... This is, this is really hard. I have a lot of favorite, I mean, like, favorite moments, you know? Like, my first ever interview, I was interviewing Georgia Tech, and their first period I thought was a little soft. And so I go ask, and ask the coach, mind you, first ever interview, and I was like, after a first, sloppy first period, what turned around in the second? He immediately slaps back and is like, oh, I didn't think the first period was sloppy. And I was so just, I don't know, overwhelmed, maybe? <laughs> but that was a little rough one, but, oh, gosh... This is hard. Why did you do this to me? <laughs> I got to interview Mark Johnson for the Country Classic. If you don't know, it was part of that 1980 Miracle on Ice Olympic team, gold medalist, uh, lead scorer. That was incredible because of his history as for one thing. But second of all, he is the head coach for the Wisconsin Badgers for the NCAA D1 women's team. Incredible. It was a great interview. Really got to talk to him about how he's been able to see the growth of women's hockey especially. But, I mean, really his history is just incredible in that he does recognize the importance of women's hockey. Um, my first ever press interview was going to the locker room was with Matt Duchesne. Turned right around and go to Philip Forsberg. Philip Forsberg, if you don't know, is one of the loves of my life. So <laughs> that was incredible. Matt Duchesne, great guy. I don't think I can pick a favorite. There's been too many incredible memories and stories that I've been able to tell. I mean, Emily Barber, Georgia, my first ever SEC HC, she got a shutout as a freshman. Um, she's a great player to watch in the SEC HC tournament as well. But there's too many to pick. <laughs> I think that's good, though, if you have too many to pick. Like you were saying, that Mark Johnson one's still pretty cool. I think mm-hmm. that was awesome when you heard about that and figured out he was on the Olympic team. That is really cool still. And also, Matt Duchesne, not a bad first one for the Preds either. <laughs> not at all. And then turning right back around to Philip <laughs> It's Philip Forsberg, yeah. <laughs> So you might have answered it, this, I don't know, but um, Hockey Idol. Who did you grow up absolutely loving to watch play? So my first ever hockey love was Patrick Hornquist. And you can imagine that 2017 broke my heart in so many ways, especially even before that when he was traded for James Neal. If you know me, you know that I absolutely cannot stand James Neal because that took away Patrick Hornquist and Nick Spalling. Um, Nick Spalling was a great guy as well, but Patrick Hornquist was my first love. This is something I actually haven't told anybody. My mom is the only person that knows this, but I really adored Ryan Suter. I adored Ryan Suter because he 
we both share the same number. I've grown up playing softball. I wore 20 at the time. He was 20. So I loved Brian Studer for that reason because we got to share a number. But I don't tell people that anymore. <laughs> and I don't think I ever have. So, Mom, you're not the only one that knows anymore. And I'm sorry. But please don't hate me. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's. I think that's respectable, though. I mean, that's like a numbers thing. I used to wear number 11. And some people were like, well, why'd you wear 11? And it used to be for Kopitar. But partially David Legwan too, but um, that's I think that's a re- legitimate two guys to name. I still, like I said, I like James Neal, but I respect why you don't because of Patrick Hornquist. But um, this is one that I just added that I think might be cool. What's your dream hockey vacation? Say like you could pick a couple of rinks and make a road trip and just go see the Preds or any team you wanted to go. What would your dream hockey vacation be? So this one has been planned out forever, but it's also not planned at all. So this was my idea for my senior trip, first of all. And the Preds kind of ruined it for me by, I wanted, my first thing, I guess I'll tell you what it is first. So my dream hockey vacation is going to every single game of the Stanley Cup final. Just the final, the very final match to determine who was going to be the champion. Um, and so I graduated this past May, and as you imagine, Preds went into a Stanley Cup run 2017, and so they kind of ruined it for me. But I always said the National Predators' first time going on the Stanley Cup run will be the year that I graduate in 2019, and my mom and I's plan was to travel both home and away to the National Predators versus whoever they played. And even before, like... That's really just, it's been a goal of mine. Something that I really want to do is go to both games. I want to get whatever kind of experience is going to throw. I mean, obviously, I can't tell you who's going to play in it, but I can tell you that's exactly where I want to go and where I want to be. Yeah, I think that's a cool dream one. I think my dream one would be make the Canada run and go see them play, play a game at every Canada arena, like Edmonton. Toronto's still my dream one that I've never been to that I'd love to see, although the ticket prices are way through the roof, as we've said. But um, uh, I want to ask you this, too, uh, since the Winter Classic is still kind of fresh on our mind. What's your favorite thing that you got to do in Dallas besides the game? Let's see. I want to say probably the most memorable. There might be two. I got to go to my first NBA game, uh, Mavericks and the Nets, and the Mavericks won, so that was really cool and Braindead Brewery on New Year's Eve. There were a ton of Preds fans, and uh, Lindsey Rowley, Chris Mason, Hal Gill, Oltman, Eric Young, everybody showed up, and it was cram-packed, and I'm not that hot in crowds. I can't, don't really like (laughs) it. But this was an enjoyable one. It was full of Preds, full of cheers. Um, There was a Bishop chant going on. It was incredible, the environment that was there. So that was a lot of fun as well. And you also got to see one of maybe the best players in the NBA play, Luka Doncic, didn't you? <laughs> he is incredible, that is for sure. I didn't quite get it, but, you know, the term uh, boom shakalaka or whatever, <laughs> they have turned it into boom shakaluka. <laughs> and they, they advertised this the entire game, but me being a dumb blonde, as my mom would say, I'm so pretty. I didn't understand this until the fourth quarter, and I did not stop laughing the entire ride home because I finally understood the joke. <laughs> I still think that's funny, though. Boom, sh- shaka, Luca. That's pretty good. I'm not going to lie. Um, I think we talked about this one a little bit. Favorite third or throwback jersey in the NHL right now? So I'm going to go with the Buffalo Sabres. They're all-white anniversary jer- uh, jersey. It's so detailed. I love the gold. It looks like an authentic gold. It is absolutely beautiful. I saw the jersey, and I was like, hmm, 
wouldn't be mad if I accidentally got this jersey on accident. <laughs> but that is a beautiful jersey. I love the Anaheim Ducks, the tribute back to the Mighty Ducks. That oh, yeah. is lovely as well. And my personal third jersey would be my Patrick Hornquist jersey. <laughs> I only break that jersey out twice a year. So oh. that is my favorite one. <laughs> it's like I continue to tell people. I'm a huge fan of that all-black and silver Tampa Bay jersey or the Kachinas. The Kachina from Arizona. Oh, gosh. If, <laughs> that would be my one accidental that I'd take any day. But my signature question, and I've loved doing this one because I like hearing the different picks. You're a coach of a 3v3 team in an, a tournament featuring NHL players. You get one winger, one center, one defenseman, one goalie. The catch is no one can be on the same team. Build your dream team. Abigail, who are you coaching in a 3v3 tournament? <laughs> okay, so highly anticipated, I know. So I'm just going to go in and tell you the teams first, and then I'll name you all my players, because he's told me so many times, don't tell me who it is. I want to know, but <laughs> I want to anticipate. So I have from the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Nashville Predators, the New York Rangers, and the Edmonton Oilers. Ooh, okay. So do you have a preference of where I start? What no, position? N- no preference. I'm okay. just trying to think, because that's... Trying that, to get a head start? <laughs> I, I'm going to take a guess. Is your Lightning player Steven Stamkos? Wrong. Ooh, okay. Completely wrong position as well. Mind you, you only give me one. Okay. So I'm going to start with my winger, Panarin, Redman. Okay. Got So I've got the Rangers covered. Connor McDavid, Edmonton Oilers. Jack, I hear you. I heard he's on your team, but sorry, he's been recruited. I'm going to go with Roman Yossi for my defenseman. Incredible. I had a hard time with this one because half of my heart wanted to say Shea Weber. But we decided to go with the OC. I mean, a point streak is kind of convincing for me. And Vasilevsky for my goaltender. Okay. So we have a couple. I've heard everybody else's rosters, but if your player's been on there. I know Bradman is solely mine, but I have recruited your players, and I'm tough luck for you. I, I like the bread man, though. That's, that would have been another one that I thought about with maybe Matthews or Marner, one of the two. But that's kind of an interesting one because he's been on fire this year, mm-hmm. the bread man has. But I think the Roman Yossi love runs deep, and I'm the only <laughs> one sitting here with Kale McCarr. But he would have been my other one. But that's a that's a pretty good team, though. A lot of good, you know, you got some veterans and some younger guys. Mm-hmm. And then Vasilevsky, who's been a solid goalie. So, I like that. That's that's a good team. But didn't you say you, if you wanted an offensive-minded goalie, you might have a backup plan? You're exactly right. So if depending on who I'm playing, I reckon, if I want a goaltender that can score, you'll never believe who I pick. <laughs> the Nashville Predators, Pecorine, elite goal scoring. And if I did that as well, I'd have to trade out my defenseman. So then I would go to Shea Weber with the Montreal Canadiens, and I'd be perfectly sold. And you know, I might make that switch overall. That's a trade yet to happen. So stay tuned for that information. Because Shea Weber might make some people get out of the way with that <laughs> shot. So uh, He would defend Packer to make sure yeah. it's all winter. Again, <laughs> so I'll go through the teams really quick. We had Abigail with McDavid, Panarin, Yossi, and Vasilevsky. I had Eichel, Kucherov, Makar, Gibson. Danielle had Rantanen, McDavid, Yossi, and Flurry, Jack had um, McKinnon, McDavid, Yossi, Vasilevsky, and Abby had McKinnon, Posternock, Yossi, and Anderson. So some different teams. I like the different builds with some same players, but 
definitely cool, and I enjoy doing that always. But when we come back, we're going to answer some of your fan questions, do some quick takes on a couple things going on, including Peter Laviolette and Gene Ash Hockey. So stay tuned to Episode 6 of Outside Smashville here on Penalty Box Radio. And you're standing on the edge, face up, cause you're a Back here for the third and final segment of Outside Smashville, Episode 6. Again, joined by Abigail Martin. Uh, you want to go ahead and plug your Twitter handle really quick so people can follow you? Of course. On all social media accounts, my Twitter name, or everything else, Abigail D. Martin, A-B-I-G-A-I-L-D-M-A-R-T-I-N. I love to see you around. <laughs> she posts some great content. Again, the Preds had a great coverage of John Hines' introduction press conference talking about the Preds. I enjoyed reading that and all the thoughts from David Poyle as well. So we're going into our quick take segment. We're going to do just kind of a quick question. I know you do some Gene Nash coverage too. It's kind of funny. We had a PBR reunion at the Monday game. You were reporting. Peyton was calling the game, and I was coaching for uh, Franklin Hume Farm BGA. But um, – They've gone into breaking down to the divisions. There's the upper and lower division. We're still playing for the G Nash Cup, and then come February will be the playoffs for the Preds Cup and the Heinz Cup. So of the teams that you've gotten to see in the couple games you've done, who do you think is the team kind of to watch out for in this latter stretch of the G Nash season? I'm going to go with NBA, strictly because NBA and Brentwood have always had such a rich rivalry in one place, but they've been competitive. So that's the most important thing. However... NBA is looking at the top of the top of the league right now, and especially in their group right now, they are they have 15 wins and they're undefeated. So I'm gonna have to easily say that that would be my team to watch. Who knows if we'll have a Cinderella story come around, but that would be my team is NBA. And you know NBA, they've won the G Nash Cup so many times, but they're still searching for that first Predators Cup. They've been defeated by Ravenwood a couple times, just haven't been able to capture all the glory. But looking for that their first ever Preds Cup. It'd be quite something if they could do it. Um, let's go into now something that we actually did a video on with Peyton Turnage. We reacted to the Peter Laviolette firing. Now that it's been a couple days uh, since he has been fired, there's been heavy rumors that he's back on the market to be picked up as a head coach. So I've heard New Jersey basically swapping coaches. There's been talk about Detroit but there's also been, does he wait for Seattle? I want to get your thoughts. What What do you think is next for Peter Laviolette right now? That's such a hard thing because Peter Laviolette is such a desirable coach for one of many reasons. I mean, look at his success. I mean, before he even walked into the Nashville Predators, there was not a single banner raised, and that's something that David Poyle mentioned. However, the main thing that I've seen would be with the Devils, and I actually didn't even really consider Seattle that much because – I don't know if I see him setting out the rest of the season actively on the bench. However, this could be something that they look out to him, and it's going to be a matter of does he want to build a franchise from the bottom up. I think he is perfectly capable of doing so, but I'm not sh- I don't think I can give a solid answer for that one because I could see him waiting it out now that I think about it and really 
taking a team from the bottom and taking them to the top. And, and you mentioned it, like David Poyle said, he brought a lot of culture to this team. Of course, they got back on the map after a couple tough years under Barry Trotz towards the end. They made it to a Stanley Cup Finals. They won a President's Trophy, two division titles. Um, the one that everybody has debates about the regular season Western Conference Championship. But the thing about LaViolette that I think has been talked about, he has this system where he goes about five years and he's a dominant coach. And then by the end of that fifth year or the beginning of that sixth season, it kind of dies out. Do you think that's a concern for the next team that hires him? Or do they look at that five-year period and say, well, let's just go for it. You know, this is worth the gamble with LaViolette. Maybe it goes past five years. See, that's also, I think that would have to depend on the owner, the executive office up there because David Coyle's thing is everybody knows that he is so loyal. He will, he wants to work with you. His is something he said in the press conference. He wants to work with you and not change you. He wants that relationship. Uh, Peter Laviolette, he, I definitely think he has what it takes to build a team from there up. It's a matter of maybe with it being a bunch of players that aren't your franchise player, of course, because everyone's going to lock those down. I think maybe if you get that willingness and you get that grit from a team, he can perfectly stay just as fine with them for more than five years. I'm not sure what it is because if you do look at his resume, it's, it is a little concerning at first glance because you see so many great things, but all of a sudden something just dies off. Not sure if that could always just be something in the locker room, and it's unfortunate that it ends up revolving around his name, but it could be something where coaching styles just change a little bit and the message isn't received. That's... I think that's something that a player would have to determine, but I would say that he would be a good bet to take for Seattle because he could do so much, and as long as he can keep that mentality that he would keep in that same first year that he wants to instill in his players, perfectly fine. And that's that's my pick. I know we both agree it's maybe a little hard to pick something early right now, but I, I think for Seattle it would be a good hire to have a coach that early on in their existence. I go back to Vegas with Gerard Gallant. Sure, he had done pretty well. He won a Jack Adams Award, I think, with Florida, if I'm not mistaken, and really led that team back to the promised land. And Vegas obviously goes to the Stanley Cup Finals his first year under him. So I'm not saying Seattle could have that same success, but I think it'd be a good name to start with for that franchise. Have a notable coach. You might get some notable players in the expansion draft and trades. But I, I, I see that, but if there's a team, honestly, currently in the league, I, I'm telling you, Detroit might want to take that gamble because I think it's a different position from where Nashville was, but it's it's kind of close. They're looking to rebuild, but Lobby could bring a different mentality to that Red Wings team. We just have to see. Mm-hmm. Lobby could bring a different mentality, first of all, but I mean, one thing that I've seen throughout the Predators locker room um, everybody was so high speaking about their relationship with him. I mean, Austin Watson especially, that he told me that that is the only NHL coach that he's ever had. And everybody kept mentioning just how great of a relationship that they had with Lavi. I mean, five years is pretty deep, especially having that coach-player mentality. So even from different organizations, not even just with the National Predators team, he if you hear that Peter Laviolette is going to be named to one side, that opens up a lot of opportunity and window for players to think, okay, they have a coach. They have Peter Laviolette. I want him to coach me. I want him to – maybe it's a past relationship that guides this, or maybe it's just something that they've heard from around the locker room. But I think that his name does hold a lot of weight 
and that could adjust a lot of things in the league. Absolutely. So I know it's outside Smashville, but I think it's a good topic to bring up as we're just talking about Laviolette being relieved. What's one name from the Predators that you would be keeping your eye on as the trade deadline moves that could possibly be moved, maybe in their last year, their contract with the team, or maybe just to clear salary space to get a big-name free agent this summer? This one I'm going to have to go with Craig Smith. As much as it breaks my heart, I've heard a lot of things, seen a lot of things where, I mean, this is initially, this is not my take per se. This is just what I've heard and what I've seen. But if I've been told to be okay if Craig Smith does leave this team, that's disheartening for sure. But, I mean, once you get in the NHL and you get a fan base or just any other team in general, you have to learn not to get emotionally connected or it's going to bite you real quick. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'm going with, I think Smith's an interesting one, but he is heating up right now. So maybe that stock does rise to David Poyle's liking. And like he was saying, this could be the first time in a while there's sellers at the deadline to rebuild and retool a little bit in the depth. I've got to go with Mikhail Granlund. I don't think he's worked out in Nashville's system quite the way they thought he would like he was in Minnesota. And plus, that's 5.7 mil of cap space. And sure, he'd be a free agent at the end of the year, but that's 5.7 mil that they could use to go get a big name in the offseason. I know Taylor Hall's going to be out there. Would he be someone that comes to Nashville? Who knows? We can never predict. But it would give them the cap freedom moving both him and maybe Smith, and who knows, they could bring one back on a cap-friendly deal. I'd say Smith, if he stays, would be the most likely because of his ties to Nashville, but I just think Granlin can move. I've heard rumors about Kyle Turris once again, although I feel like he's looked better since he's sort of gotten back constantly in the lineup. It's just kind of so tough, but my, my pick would be Granlin. I think that's a fair take, and especially I like that you mentioned Taylor Hall because if you looked amongst the high NHL insiders, they told you that the natural predators were looking, and then all of a sudden it just stopped. Mind you, those reasons haven't been released to why he did not make the team. Mike, not the liking for here. Mind you, if it was cap space or it was his own personal liking, whole different way of venturing that we can look for through there. However, I can agree with Granlund. Um, that would be hard to see, I think. I think, especially maybe not now with Hans necessarily, but if you look at him with Forsberg and Duchesne, I like what I see. Mind you, his name doesn't always pop up on the score sheet, but he does show in his play like. And that's something I really like. Um, Taylor Hall, is, like I said, is that's a good thing to comment on. That's always a big question, I think, to see where that's going to take. But Terrace as well. Um, going through that lovely lineup decision that he is so fond of. He's definitely made a turn for this team, and it's going to be interesting to see if him, Granlin, Smith, will step up and go forward with this team, or if they're going to make a new decision to try and get a new voice and find their game somewhere else. Yeah, and the other name I've mentioned, too, he's kind of up and down in Philadelphia's lineup's always been Shane Gostisbehere. I'm very high on him as a possible second-pairing defenseman. I know the defense hasn't been as strong this year, but I think David Poyle, I trust what he does with this team. And obviously, it's gonna, it's gonna you're going to have trades that don't work out. We all know that. It's, it's visible. It's, it's, it's part of the business. And, you know, but you have the trades that you hit on, like, you know, Ryan Johansson's been a good fit. I know he maybe hasn't had the best of years right now. Bringing Matt Duchesne in. 
there's been guys that have worked for the Preds, and I, and I think it's just a matter of a wait-and-see approach. I think Duchesne looked really good under Hines' new system last night, had that beautiful goal against the Blackhawks. But I wanted to get into some fan questions that we got. Okay. The first one I think we're going to rephrase a little bit because I know we you talked to Justin a little bit about it, but uh, we all know the commission will – Will the SECHC ever entertain the idea of a women's conference? There's no women's teams in the SECHC vicinity right now. So I kind of want to open this up and still keep on that question. Would we ever see possibly, and I'm sure there's going to be the interest after the Country Classic was here, and they, I think they plan to keep on doing that. Would there ever be interest, and do you think it would be good for the SECHC to start having women's teams at these schools, maybe start small and then work their way up and eventually work into an SECHC conference? Yes, unbelievably yes, yes, yes. It is one thing to reiterate that there are no women's club hockey teams because if, there, if they were available, I can promise you that the SECHC conference would be there for them, 100%. Especially knowing Justin, he I've never met anybody, I don't think, that has promoted so many women in the industry and women's hockey. I mean, I know when he heard about the Country Classic, he wouldn't shut up about it. And I mean, that's a great thing. I mean, covering that was absolutely incredible. I think it does so much for girls' hockey, and that's another thing to look out to. Girls' hockey, just even for like the little ones, incredible. A ton of teams showed up for that Country Classic. Sammy saw them, especially like that first day. Yeah. It was incredible to see the support from the girls, the women, the boys, and the men. Absolutely incredible. And if it were to happen where women's teams would arise in a club team, most definitely. I think that is something that should be explored in each school, see if there is any interest for a women's club team. But that's going to have to go to the school itself and not something that can be outside in. I think it has to be inside out. Yeah, absolutely, and I think it would be great if they started discussing this and possibly bringing it to have both a men's and women's tournament here at Bellevue or Antioch or wherever they choose. And you go back to that country classic, they made it both a travel hockey tournament and the college hockey, and just seeing all the young girls looking at the the players they idolize mm-hmm. as they grow up, and it's a great recruiting aspect as well, too, for those teams at that high level of girls' hockey to bring them in and, you know, maybe they can become the next Hillary Knight or the Lamoureux twins or Amanda Kessel. You yeah. know, there's so much great going on with girls hockey in Nashville, especially. So uh, I think that that would be something I'd be very interested in mm-hmm. seeing, but transitioning into our final question comes from our good friend, Johnny D. Silvera, our man North of the border who wears a Preds <laughs> Jersey in Vancouver. Much respect. I think this is a good question though. Here's one. Why do you think switching coaches midseason and going on to win the Cup, if we look at it, Craig Berube last year, mm-hmm. I think Mike Sullivan with the Pittsburgh Penguins a couple years ago, has a, has a higher success rate than winning the President's Trophy and Stanley Cup does in the same season? And, Abigail, I, I think we've kind of debated conspiracy theories. We've kind of tried to figure out why it never happens because I think the Preds had a really good shot to do it when they won it in 2018. And in the Tampa Bay Lightning, I think everybody expected them to walk through the Stanley Cup playoffs last year and what happens, they get swept in the first round. But I think it's just the pressure of being the President's Trophy winner. You get home ice advantage through the playoffs. But 
everybody expects you to walk through the Stanley Cup playoffs and go on and win the Cup, but those teams that don't have as much expectations, like the Blue Jackets last year, they kind of come in as the Spartan story as the underdogs and come out on top most of the time. Yeah, I think you're definitely right about the mindset of it, of it being so much pressure, because it is. And not only that for your players in the locker room that, oh, we can do it. Maybe it's a thing where they think, okay, we're definitely going to win it and they don't play as hard. Maybe it's a thing where the other teams, because they know that they are the top of the league, they are supposed to be the team that just flies through, and even though it doesn't happen, they're looked at so much. You look at everything about their system. You look at top six, bottom six. You look at what goaltender is going to do the best. You look at what's the weak side. Is the glove side? Is it stick side? Does he go... Is he less likely to go bar down, or is he going to be going right below between the legs? That's something that I think if you look at the film and that teams could really look at and benefit from because you you don't look at like other teams like that. I mean, when the Preds made their run in 17, I can promise you nobody was looking at the Predators as a threat, and that's the first time that they went that far in franchise history. I mean, same thing with the Blues. I mean, being at the very bottom of January and going on top, that was, that was, first of all, a story in itself. That was incredible, and it would be amazing in my lifetime that was to ever be repeated. But I think that's definitely what it is, is the pressure from the team itself and the knowing of every other team of, okay, this team is a threat. What can we do to bash their weaknesses, and what are their weaknesses? What are their strengths, and what are our strengths that can really defeat theirs? Yeah, and I just pulled it up here for reference. The last time a team who won the President's Trophy and went on to win the Stanley Cup was the lockout shortened season of 2012-2013 with the Chicago Blackhawks. If you want to go a full season to win the last team that had a full season to win the Stanley uh, Stanley Cup and President's Trophy, you have to go all the way back to 2007-2008 with the Detroit Red Wings. So it has been done before. It's just so rare that it happens. You have teams that make runs in the Stanley Cup Finals, and they win. There was a stretch that in three of the four years, from 1998 to 2002, three teams, the Dallas Stars, Colorado Avalanche, and Detroit Red Wings won the Cup, the only one not to the St. Louis Blues. But I think nowadays, with how much speed is in the game, you know, it's a much more of a speed-based game, not as physical. You still have physicality, but... It's so hard to count a team out no matter their seed in the Stanley Cup playoffs ever. That's for sure because I think especially now like you mentioned, hockey is played day by day. It is game by game. You can play Pittsburgh in a back-to-back series. You can play Colorado three days apart, but you're going to get, most likely you're going to get a different team, and that's been seen throughout each different organization that has gone through some more than others, (laughs) but, you know, I mean, it happens. I think... Hockey is so special because it's a game that you can't look at numbers all the time and it'll tell you what the outcome will be. It won't tell you what goaltender is going to get a shutout or if their goal average is normally two, they can get five out of one night and bust that entirely. It is entirely who's going to show up to play, who's going to have the mindset, who's going to play a full 16 for the boys and get the pucks in. (laughs) That's exactly what it is. So. That's what makes the game so special. The the perfect impersonation of a <laughs> hockey player. Pucks in deep, boys were buzzing, and yeah, you know, just put that all together. Yeah, no, I mean. <laughs> um, but I think it's interesting because, you know, you look at it, don't tell anybody the odds, like the St. Louis Blues, dead bottom of the league at the start of the new year, and they came back to win the Stanley Cup. 
fight each other in practice. Don't forget that one. That's yeah, my favorite. That's what changed it all. The fight. Maybe I no Preds don't do it really, but I was gonna say maybe they need something. Oh, but oh, I joked about that last year. Breakaway beauties. <laughs> maybe it knocks some sense into. Maybe never know. maybe you guys should go out. Maybe you should go out there. You know, <laughs> have Austin Watson or somebody knock some sense into somebody. But uh, Abigail, thank you so much for joining me again. We're excited about the SECHC tournament again. What one last final thought on that? I know we talked about it earlier. What's your encouragement to fans to come out and see that? Oh, it's it's so special. I mean, if you're in hockey, if you're not in hockey, it will definitely get you. It'll start. It'll plant a seed. I'll say it is something that'll grow because college hockey is special. These boys, sure, they're paying to play, but they are so competitive. And I think it's so heartwarming to see how much that they really and truly put into their own team. They put into themselves. They look in to make sure their teammates are doing the right thing. They keep each other accountable. They don't they of course they need their coaches, but they don't need that they don't need to be scolded out from their coach to get that into them. It is already instilled to these players. And you can watch that out on the eyes. They're physical, they're fast. You can see a lot of good handles, a lot of great goals, some shutouts. Everything and anything can happen in this SEC HG tournament, and especially now that they have to have that mindset from the very first practice in probably August or even July, that you have to you have to work to go into the SEC HG fight to even make a playoff spot. What if there's going to be a Cinderella story? What if Georgia goes back-to-back? I mean, fans, if you're out there a fan or not of any of these collegiate teams, if you're a Vanderbilt fan or an MTSU fan and they may not make it to the, this tur- tournament, go. See what team is going to be to look out for next year. What is it going to take for your team to reach that spot into this next season? It is absolutely incredible and it's something that you don't want to miss. The environment from the players, from the fans, and from everybody watching this tournament is incredible and something you're going to want to be a part of. It's going to be a lot of fun. And again, Penalty Box Radio will have all of the coverage. Make sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms at Penalty Box Radio and check out PenaltyBoxRadio.com. Abigail and I do some good content on there. Everybody does great content, so make sure to follow us. And again, thanks for joining me again today. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. Talking TSU and SECHC and our NHL stuff. So again, uh, thank you for listening to Outside Smashville Episode 6. Outside Smashville Episode 7. It's going to be UAH Chargers play-by-play voice. Peyton Turnage joining me to talk about the UAH Chargers and SECHC. But for Abigail Martin, I'm Sam Fleming. Thanks for tuning in today to Outside Smashville.